Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. Emmett Oliver is my name. You're welcome along. It's been a tough, bumpy week, so we're going to try and bring some. Uh, Sanity to what were not very nice pictures that went on during the week. Let me just introduce my two paper reviewers who've come in. They've dodged petrol bombs and rocks and stones to get here, so they're very committed to the cause. I have on my right-hand side, I have Caroline Bokel, who is the CEO of BIM, the uh, Fisheries Board, of course, a state body. And I also have Paul Allen, who is the CEO of Paul Allen and Associates. You're both very welcome along, folks. We only have one story uh, to talk about for quite a few minutes, but we're trying to go to leaven it up a little bit with some of the other themes and topics that populate the papers. It's not all riots and bad things. There are some other things that are challenging in a different way we'll discuss in a few minutes. Uh, First of all, Caroline, I'll come to you. Um, Any sort of personal reflections on what happened on Thursday night? I mean, thankfully, last night seems to have been a a bit of a damn squib in a (laughs) positive sense. There doesn't seem to be much disturbances. The, The police now seem to have restored control to that part of the city. But the scars of this are, are going to run deep for quite a while, aren't they? They are. I mean, they were really quite extraordinary scenes, weren't they? Um, they're certainly not something that we're used to seeing in this country. Um, but I think, you know, it's really interesting reflecting on it now this morning, um, looking back at uh, particularly the papers where we're looking at extra Gardaí uh, being, being drafted in particularly today, um, the independent reporting with Ken Foy that uh, going to have more uh, support drafted in for two sporting events tonight. We've got Leinster, Munster and the Aviva and then, of course, uh, Katie Taylor uh, fighting tonight. So, you know, it's really interesting the the police balancing, um, I suppose, trying to have uh, a good response to this and ensuring that we restore some of the confidence that has now gone out of the the the, the city centre, I think, and trying to do that in good time because, of course, it's it's such a busy time of year at the moment. So critical. I came in this morning. Uh, city looks beautiful. It's nice and uh, bright and sunny, but very, very quiet. Yeah, last night, I think one of the reasons that might have played into that nothing happening last night was there was nobody around. I mean, there was just police and not a lot of other people in the main shipping or shopping precincts. Uh, the Irish Independent headline reads, 100 extra Gardaí drafted into city for the weekend. Uh, as it mentions these two sporting events, I don't think we have too much to worry about at the Leinster rugby match, but who knows? And you have the Katie Taylor fight, which boxing in Ireland, there has been a, a difficult issue over there in recent years, but uh, about 8,000 people expected in the three arena. So let's hope they all pass off well. Paul, um, those headlines, we, we're certainly seeing it getting more political, I suppose, in the last 24 hours. It's moving a little bit away from what actually happened and sort of saying, well, who's to blame, which is what we tend to like to do. And in the centre of the storm is Helen McEntee, the Justice Minister, and the Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris. They are pretty much bracketed together as a, a kind of duo across the papers, often photographed uh, beside each other on each page. How do you think that whole area of how that's been handled is going and, and how much pressure are they really under, do you think? Well, good morning. Uh, if I may just say, like certainly my thoughts and prayers are with that young child five who's who's battling at the moment in relation to a hospital in Dublin City and what happened the other day. Uh, the scenes we've witnessed, uh, horrific, um, if I may just say in terms of what's going on in terms of the guards and the security staff and the poor guys that are delivering to shops this morning and people that are driving trams and public service to have to put up and see what was going on. But certainly it's a time to listen 
Uh, watching the question you asked me about the, the Garda Commissioner and the Minister, watching the body language of the two of them in, in our business communications, we specialise in terms of focusing on what's going on. The Garda Commissioner had his hat over his eyes. You couldn't see them. Uh, and the Garda, the Garda, the Minister involved in that was, was talking about where it's at. Um, I think we, the media needs to move the narrative a bit. But as we move the narrative, uh, next year is election year. It's an important time talking to some the members of the Law and Order Party, Fine Gael. They're not happy the way the party is being represented at the moment. So uh, I know the minister's not for turning. She's now plans to move on. But I think it's very, very interesting. Uh, yesterday, downtown, we had a meeting in the courts regarding a project we're working on and um, talked to a shopkeeper who, again, is devastated. He was sending his staff home at five o'clock yesterday. He just turned to me and he said, here, you should talk to the, the lad in the shop. So this young guy said to me, there was a WhatsApp group put together. It was the largest ever WhatsApp group that was put together. So if a guy in a shop knows what's going mm. on, I think the intelligence yeah. was asleep. Um, but certainly the guards... Uh, and the Irish well, Times actually named, we won't be named, but the Irish Times named two people that are seen as leading far-right agitators, but, if you want to call but, it. But, so in other words, these, these aren't mysterious sure, secret Emma, people. But, you know? but I just think as well, in terms of the far-right, I think the people involved the other evening were so stupid, they wouldn't know what the far-right is. All they were interested was in trainers and causing mayhem. If they're interested in protesting, you don't bring lump hammers, you don't start no. battering the doors of Arnott's uh, to get in. So uh, it's something like that. But of course, it, it's like the days back in the 80s and 90s when there was joyriding going on and the guards were coming out with these stinger uh, things that mm, burst devices, tires on yeah. cars. Then there was an outcry, oh, what's going to happen? But let's remember the outcry when the whole idea of body cams and facial recognition was coming in and the Green Party were saying, oh, the civil liberties here, we better do this. If the guards had body cams and proper structure and proper resourcing, they could do their job. They're not I, equipped, I, right. And I just, just finished mm. that. I just fear uh, how they managed to, you know, uh, channel the, the requests that are going on at the moment in terms of this is Dublin, they're bringing water cabins. What ha- cannons in? What happens if it happens in Galway? If it happens in Cork? People need to return to the city and it's Christmas time. We need to get out and start spending money and helping traders. Sure. Caroline, as Paul raises the policing issue, that's obviously we're not going to fix that in today's conversation, but there is a sense that we, we all know that police numbers as a percentage of population are down. As Paul says, they are not equipped. The people were looking for pepper spray during the week. Other people were saying we've never actually been trained in riot control. So you have police gone out who have not been trained. So these are kind of like managerial issues and, and I suppose the problem is you can fix them but it doesn't happen very quickly. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no doubt that this will bring a renewed focus to that whole area and will undoubtedly uh, help with the guards in terms of any sort of additional resources that they need. But it's very interesting. Conor Lally in the Irish Times has a really interesting article where he is promoting, or sorry, he's quoting uh, a professor, Mulqueen, from um, the University of Central Lancaster, um, who specialised in this. He's a security specialist. And he's talking about the difficulty that the guards have in balancing the powers that they have with the force of the gathering storm. And he's making the point that um, this was a sort of a flash response um, and they were coming to respond to an incident of a child stabbing and that they couldn't reasonably expect that it was going to um, proceed in this way um, and that even in his experience, you know, bigger police forces such as the Met in London, who'd be well used to this, they are really challenged by these sort of incidences where you've got to draw resources from all over the country. So even with all of the resources, 
uh, I think it still would have been very challenging to deal with what the guards expected to be a child stabbing incident. But Caroline, I think it's down to intelligence. If, if a shop assistant can tell me about what's on WhatsApp, the guards could be doing this. Uh, I'm just bringing you back to September when the guards representative body had the vote and I think it was 98.7% or whatever it was, uh, their confidence in the guard, the commissioner. You, you can't really recover from that and um, you need to get out and deal with this. Uh, I understand as well the guards were visiting shopkeepers there yesterday. But as you said, like it's, it's a situation. Well, we got a dry run when a, a refugee tent uh, village was burnt down. We got a dry run outside the Oireachtas when you know elected members couldn't get into the chamber. So we, it wasn't as if this has never happened before. Not on this scale. Uh, yeah. Caroline is correct there, but there has been kind of dry runs for this. But let me just. Well, you call think you would eventually get it? Like there's a serious issue. Sure. Let me let me talk are, about the business implications because we have a guest who's going to talk to us now. You put on your headphones, uh, folks, if you have headphones nearby, um, and have a listen to. Jean McCabe, who is the CEO of Retail Excellence Ireland, who can talk to us a little bit about what's been happening to retailers. Uh, good morning to you, Jean. Good morning, Emmett. You're welcome along to Down to Business. Obviously, it's been a, a harrowing for, week for people, not just the businesses, but the staff who work there. As Paul was saying, referring to earlier, getting in there, getting home, uh, getting a bus. You know, the poor bus driver who was essentially flung off his Dublin bus and told, we're going to murder you unless you get off the bus. I mean, absolutely outrageous uh, thing to get involved in. Uh, what, what, where are we now as we come on to mid-morning on a Saturday? Is, is it still clean up the damage and hope the weekend passes off peacefully? Just go, give us an update from people you're talking to. Yeah, so the, the reports this morning at the city is, is relatively quiet. Very few around Retailers are opening back up their shutters and hoping some for, for some normality of trading. But just like you said there, the first concern for retailers yesterday was their people. So ensuring they had a safe passage to and from work. Um, reports were that a lot didn't feel safe travelling to work, especially migrant workers, which is a really sad case of the flares when you consider, you know, how they how important they are to the retail and for, for Ireland, the Irish economy in general. Um, I, I would like to say that DCC did a superb job yesterday uh, in cleaning up the city um, and reports this morning is that the city looks clean and tidy and, you know, there's some stores starting to open back up and there's a bit of normality returning. But I think it's important also to note, like, what we witnessed on Thursday night is the culmination of the antisocial behaviour that has been plaguing D- Dublin City on a daily basis. And it's a problem that retailers and ourselves have been banging the door about um, and it's just not been addressed. And the hope is that this incident, these riots will be the catalyst for the change that we urgently need and we strongly urge government to provide the Gardaí with the necessary resources to effectively address this issue and to take a zero tolerance approach. And Jean, in terms of specifics, uh, you say zero tolerance, is there something, one or two things you can throw out there that you would like to see them do? Currently, antisocial behaviour on the streets isn't even being tracked by Gardaí. So recently we had a meeting where we saw really effective uh, metrics and data analytics on how retail crime, so st- uh, theft in stores, was being tracked, which is which was made sense. It was a really good angle to take on it. But when I asked the question about antisocial behaviour, I was told it's not being tracked. So they're not taking it seriously. And I think even their, the slow response to uh, the on Thursday night's events just shows how little notice and how little kudos they're giving uh, antisocial behaviour and the impact it's having on our streets. It's no secret that, you know, the north side of Dublin City Centre has been struggling with antisocial behaviour for a long time. I think we all know that from walking down the street, not feeling safe. But unfortunately, it certainly wasn't being taken seriously. And Gina, seriously. I don't know if you heard, but our two guests were mentioning the point that there's now a, a kind of a marketing or brand problem here, which is the city is acquiring this reputation. It'll take a while to, to kind of wind that back. Uh, Paul was mentioning that. How long do you think it might take? How worried are you about that piece that the word has gone out 
psychologically there's a seed being planted that mm, Dublin city centre don't go in there? I think it's time now, just like that message has gone out about taking back the city. And I think if the Gardaí step up the approach to antisocial behaviour and have a zero tolerance to it, the north side could probably be one of the safest areas in Dublin City. And I think it's important for people to be mindful of looking after those retailers that have been affected. The whole city really has been affected by a drop in footfall in the last two days. Reports of trade about 70% down yesterday across the city, north and south. So I think it's important for the public to think about shopping in Dublin City Centre this year, whether it's be online or in-store with those retailers. But I think the message of taking back our city, not letting these thugs, you know, own the streets, essentially. And um, I, I, I would hope that as a society that we will step up to the mark. All right. Well, it's going to be a long road ahead. It's pushing a rock up a hill in some respects, but we can certainly do better. Jean McCabe is the CEO of Retail Excellence Ireland. Thanks for the update on where we are this morning, mid-morning. Obviously not anyone expecting much trouble at this time of the morning. Anyone who's a troublemaker is probably in bed is the reality, uh, unfortunately. Paul, if I can just finally wrap up, because we want to talk about other things to, than riots, as uh, important and though than all they may be. Where do you think it's going to go? Do you see um, Minister um, McEntee under pressure? Or do you see, yeah, it'll all blow over? Or do you see the other politicians kind of going, well, I'm glad I'm not in that ministry, to be honest. It doesn't seem to generate a lot of positive news. So there's not a reshuffle on the cards. So what do you see happening well, politically there? I, I, I just think, again, it's a business programme. <laughs> I'm happy to come back and talk politics. But in the context of what's happening, the city has been decaying for a long time. It's like it's a murky underbelly of crime and destruction. The streets, and again, well done to Dublin City Council for sorting things out. But the place is decaying. It's falling apart. The streets so it's are a filthy. wider thing than it's just a wider crime. Picture. Yeah, so, investment is needed and management yeah, is needed. You know, and I just, you know, the very time Batman takes the day off, this all happens. <laughs> and I just think, no, quite seriously, it's a very serious. Issue. Oh, it certainly is, uh, Carolyn. I suppose just to close Emmett on a point, which is to say, you know, it is part of all of our responsibilities now, uh, you know, as a society, we're really you know, trying to be very supportive here, both for the victims of this, but also now trying to support our, our traders as we go into what is their busiest three weeks of the year. And I think we all have responsibility now to display some confidence and come back into the city and provide the support to these traders. We're seeing fantastic leadership provided by some of the stores in terms of them working yeah, there was through the night. Yeah, people queuing up to get into our yesterday. Queuing, um, you know, uh, working through the night and very uh, defiant uh, sort of responses saying we've been here for well over 100 years we're not going anywhere um, and I think for all of us now to support these traders as they go forward for the next three weeks well, is the very best thing we can all do. If you've got a big mood mood reducer you can always fly out and get a sun holiday or can you? <laughs> Let's go to the Irish Independent poll a story by John Mulligan headline reads passenger cap could block Dublin airport growth so we knew that part but the next word is the important bit for years says CEO so this is Kenny Jacobs Chief Executive of the Dublin Airport Authority. Essentially what he's saying is because of the ceiling on the number of flights that can go through there, ceiling on capacity, it could be several years before extra flights are accommodated, special events, if there's sporting or other things going on, accommodating those. Um, this is starting to get serious for the, again, back to the local economy for Dublin, possibly implications for Shannon and the regions as well. So what's your reaction to what Kenny Jacobs is saying and, and contained in this John Mulligan story? Well, John has a very good article today in The Independent. Uh, let's remember Kenny Jacobs. He's a fine communicator from the school of uh, Michael O'Leary and Reiner. He's well able to, to wind it up. But like here in Ireland, we have Cork, we have Shannon, we have two in Belfast. Uh, and I know the airport is up, up the way, but obviously there's residents and there's people in the area. But that the the traffic that is involved, people are coming in to invest in Ireland as opposed to holiday makers. 
Uh, and I know that the numbers of private aircraft seems to be sticking on people's uh, throat. They're not able to cope with that numbers. Um, there should be another airport in Dublin. There's Baldonnell sitting over there. There's Gormanstown up the yeah. road. There's other aircraft. Even Alistair infra- Campbell may not be able to get in. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Careful. So, so, so there's other things that we can be doing. Um, and I know there's a, a private company that's trying to sell some land there. But these are, gro- brothers, these are yeah. growing pains. The country is doing extremely well and we need to have an infrastructure. We also need to have a proper rail structure and the west of Ireland needs also to be looked at. It shouldn't be always Dublin-centric. Like at Shannon, ideal location. They can do all sorts of bits and pieces in relation to that. So but Kenny Jacob, great piece in the paper, but we need to build the infrastructure so, Paul, do you and the think, minister do you, needs to do his job. Do you think we could rebalance some of the flights into Shannon? Then? I would think so, yeah. Get them into the country as yeah. opposed to Dublin. But everything is related to transport. Let's remember an island economy. We need to move around. At one stage, they were stopping cruise ships in. Fine, there was environmental issues, but people want to come in. They have dollars in their pocket. They want to spend money. Caroline is talking about the traders that are here. We need to open the market and bring people in. Like It's kind of ridiculous. Sorry, you can't come in anymore. I know in Venice, they're now charging people five euro to try and come in to get some of the people out of the city. But like there's a bed tax. There's other elements that can be developed. It's a win-win for Ireland. We should be embracing this. Uh, Nice piece in the paper, Kenny. Good idea. Okay, uh, Caroline, there's a lot of people, uh, interest groups here. Paul has mentioned the businesses that are field there, projects are on hold, inward investment. But there are a group of people who live near this mm-hmm. airport who say it's bad enough what I already have to put up with. There's planes going over my head at all hours of the day. There's a lot of noise, you know, since the second runway is. Now, I may not agree with them. Paul may not agree with them, but they are the local stakeholders out there. So. It's, it, there's a lot of interest to sort of juggle around here, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think it's always difficult to balance the community concerns with the economic demands of an airport and the growth uh, that's that's clearly required. And I think this every city airport in the world is is suffering this problem. And the community have very valid concerns. The the airport would say that they're very good neighbours, but ultimately, uh, for these people, it is very challenging. And there's always a balance to be to be achieved there. And I think that's why the cap was put on back in um, in 2020 when Terminal 2 opened, or sorry, 2010 when Terminal 2 opened. But I would agree with Paul, you know, where there is this, the, the demand uh, for travellers and for the level of traffic coming through the airport, where it simply can't be done in Dublin Airport. We are a small island nation. And certainly in my business, working with people around the coast, I see this huge demand uh, outside of Dublin for uh, transport links. So it seems there's an opportunity perhaps there. And okay. we want to be green as well. Let's upgrade the train service. It's wonderful to go around Europe in a train and look out the window. We have services that could be... But re- the Metrolink is coming, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually. Surely it's coming. It's, it's be the here tomorrow. Prague out, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be very old and grey by then, but nevertheless. Can I uh, direct you, shunt you on to use a train uh, term, Paul, to another story, which is... Darrow O'Brien, the housing minister, he's going to put his hand in his, it's not his pocket, but the taxpayer's pocket, I suppose, 15 million euros to bail out the Peter McVerry Trust, which seems to have run into all sorts of problems. Now, we need to be careful here about um, how this organisation was run, but what's your overall reaction to the wiseness of investing this money and, and stabilising this particular charity? Well, uh, well, should Darrow O'Brien be doing that in the first well, place? If I may say, it's, we're on the shoulders of Christmas here. It's almost Christmas. Think about the power of giving and certainly Father Peter's charity. If I may say, St. Peter. He's done great work over the years. Uh, This has all become too big, too quick. Um, The government has plenty of money. Uh, It obviously needs proper control. I assume maybe some officers from the state will be put in to manage the operation like the FAI when they invested money. So the board will obviously change. But uh, the identified problems 
uh, of the money and the minister going to announce it. I, I would say also the fact that it's now a Friday and a Saturday, we're now talking about it. Jack Parr is a good article. Uh, it's a well-placed leak to, to happen next week to, to see what's going to happen. But, but like Father Peter and his team are doing great work. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely issues, but let's not hope the services themselves are the sufferers. There is an idea of building 500 houses, which seems a lot. Caroline, on the subject of property, a different world, but nevertheless kind of connected to our earlier discussion about riots and retail, which is kind of strange that we're talking about both of those things together. AIB to take 30 million hit on shopping centre loan. This is a page 20 story in the Irish Times by Peter Flanagan. This is saying that one of the biggest banks in the country, AIB, is said to take a haircut, we haven't heard that word in a while, mm. of 17% on a loan that's tied into Blanchardstown Shopping Centre, which tells us that the underlying asset there is not as valuable as it used to be, which again is talking about this retail. So it's not just the city centre, but some of these shopping centres outside in the suburbs are, are struggling a little bit. That's right, yes. The story, as you say, of Peter Flanagan, he's talking about the sale um, of this loan uh, with a haircut uh, again not a term we've heard in a while of 17% to Hayfin Capital Management um, London based company and the concern here is um, that this is the most uh, significant loss to be crystallised in Ireland for, for quite some time and the concern is well what is the implications for the overall debt tied to the centre and what does it mean um, and I think this is really, um, as reported in this article, you know, this is the sign, the latest sign of the stress that this sector is under. First of all, we had the move to online shopping uh, and the stress that that produced for the retail sector. And then, of course, post-COVID, people working from home, uh, similar pre- uh, pressure on the office sector. So uh, there is a sense that... Um, there are further implications here. Uh, a, a cut of this hasn't been seen in some time and uh, perhaps there'll be more to come. Right. It's a barren lot of papers this morning. So is there any good news, any light at all? The only thing I'm left, I'm reduced to, and I don't mean that to be uh, nasty sounding, but is the toy show. Well, you're dressed um, in a Christmas jumper, so well, we better do <laughs> we it. We need to do it, right? The toy show, Patrick Keelty, I personally didn't see it because of other reasons, but maybe one or the two of you. Paul looks panicked. Uh, Caroline, what, what do you think? Uh, what do you think of last night's edition? Uh, you know, it was gorgeous. Tuberty less. Uh, yes, indeed. I watched it with my nine-year-old uh, son and my husband last night. It was my my nine-year-old's first time to see it, uh, and I have to say, he nearly crawled into the television at some point. It was absolutely wonderful. It was a real. Uh, bright spark in what had been a very dark week and it was very, very enjoyable. I have to say the um, it was quite uh, beautifully produced. It was quite simple. It reminded me of when I used to watch it myself as a child and I enjoyed every moment of it. And to Paul? my pals, having worked in RTE for 15 years, I may say this is what RTE does really, really well. So well done, boys and girls. Uh, and well done, Patrick. Uh, also well done to young Freya, Freya McLaughlin, who's the 11-year-old uh, child who was there talking about uh, she wasn't talking about trains, she was talking about horses and how great it was and she won a trip to the Olympics. It was a special, special moment. It's a nice now and again with the busy, busy world and what's happening, just to pause and reflect yeah, well, on how I great Christmas is. And is ever a week where we needed something like that? Uh, we, we definitely did need it this week. So well done to all of those involved. Uh, thank you very much for now. That's Caroline Bokel, who is the CEO of BIM and Paul Allen. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.